Welcome to a special edition of Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack, a teaching ministry that focuses on God's unconditional love and grace. On today's broadcast, in celebration of Black History Month, Andrew is joined by David and Tim Barton as they discuss the numerous black heroes of America. History is a lot more diverse than we realize. It's just that we don't know the stories yeah. and the diversity of our history. See, we, we give dates, names, and places today. We don't give stories yeah. and people. We don't tell the stories. And now, here's Andrew. So I'm glad that you're with me today for a very special edition of The Gospel Truth. And I'm interviewing David and Tim Barton. I mean, experts, authority on American history. And during this Black History Month, we are sharing some things about the heroes of America who were black. Most of you have never heard this. I tell you, it's going to bless you. I believe it will be a tremendous inspiration to you. So please stay tuned for our Black History Month with David and Tim Barton. So what's significant about this is today, as we celebrate Black History Month, largely people would point to a Frederick Douglass, a Booker T. Washington, George Washington Carver, Rosa Parks, MLK. You generally have five, six, seven or eight people you would point to we don't know most of these heroes from the revolution, from the Civil War. And the reason actually largely goes back to his book because Woodrow Wilson makes a total redaction, totally removes the really any, any black hero in American history. You can now read a book about American history with no blacks in it. Except he does acknowledge that blacks do exist. Yeah, he even give, if, if you've never seen a black, he even gives you a picture so you can see what a black looks like. That's terrible. That's terrible. So what is it? Uh, this is very, very, and, yeah, very let me, offensive. Let me, let me show it so everybody, everybody can see it. Because as we say this, people are going to think, oh my gosh, that's so racist for you to say. No, this is literally what the picture looks like. This looks like a slightly evolved monkey. Yeah, it looks kind of like a Neanderthal. Is what this looks like. Now, this is where it gets interesting. You just, you just said a key word. Yeah, what's even more, so Neanderthal is interesting. So... Wilson's not the first guy to kind of make this notion that blacks may be association with monkeys. If you go back, you have a guy named Charles Darwin. Charles Darwin did the origin of species, but it also the origin of species was about the favored, the, the preservation of favored races. Yeah, we, we call it origin of species today, but it's origin of species or the preservation of means, favored races and the struggle for life. Is that to his title? That's his title. That's his title. Yeah, so so he, he says evolution is about the evolution of favored races in the struggle for life. Then, so right off the bat, it's racist. Then shortly after, he comes out with the descent of man. When he comes up with the descent of man, Darwin actually argues that the darker your skin, the less evolved you are. So Darwin actually was in favor at times of saying, hey, let's relocate all blacks back to Africa. Let them fully evolve. And then when they're lighter, they can come join us. Darwin was an incredibly racist guy. And right, we're in an era where we're saying, hey, tear down every statue of a racist person. Well, How come we keep teaching evolution right. in schools? His whole premise of evolution, of evolving, did include racist. And his notion was the lighter your skin, the more evolved you are. Well, this is part of what Woodrow Wilson explains in his books, which is why today we don't know any heroes from early America because it actually was removed. Woodrow Wilson heads a lot of the progressive movement in America when it totally changes the entire education system in America. And now this five volume history set becomes the standard of good history in public schools. Yeah, because he's such no an academic. Heroes. I mean, what a brilliant guy. The president of Princeton, are you kidding? That's gotta be a great history book with credentials like that. 
bad, bad content. And this is where credentials mean absolutely nothing. Content means everything. I just did a series on biblical worldview and I was uh, quoting how many people gain their inspiration from Darwin. And of course, I'm sure you know all this, but uh, Margaret Sanger. Yes. Man, she quoted him and as a result started Planned Parenthood with the intent of eliminating the yes. blacks in the United States. I wonder States. where she got Total that race. I wonder where that eugenics came. Oh, Darwin. Yeah, Darwin said, I mean, that whole thing ties together. And today we think if you're anti-Darwin, you're anti-science. Maybe I want to be anti-science if it means being racist <laughs> and being eugenics. And, and, and Stalin and Lenin That's right. yeah. and uh, all Pol those Pot others. and all of these people. Matter of fact, I think it was Stalin that said the very first thing he does is to take all the seminary students and teach them Darwin because you have to separate them from their conviction that people were created yes. in the image of God. Yep. And that's what we see. The reason that most Americans today don't know people that were very well known in early and, America. And we've got a stack of these stories. I mean, clearly, we can keep going on this for a long time. So you know, we're, and by the way, let me have that, that Tim. Uh, you know, just from a progressive standpoint, it would seem like you would want to mention firsts in America, pioneer stuff, but you never hear this guy. Guy's named Wentworth Cheswell. He's the first black man elected to office in America, 1768. He's elected in New Hampshire, which is a very white state. And so this is before we before became a nation. Before the American Revolution, before he became a nation, he's elected to office. He's re-elected for the next 49 years to eight different political positions. In he what is state? A, in, in New Hampshire. He is a big church leader. He is the historian of New Hampshire. He's the one who collected so much for the history of New Hampshire, the three volume set that came out, Jeremy Bell. This guy rode in the American Revolution, Paul Revere kind of rides. He rode warning the Patriots, the British are coming. I mean, the guy's just amazing. And just because he's the first black elected official in America, we ought to mention him. We can't even get him in the textbooks because it doesn't go with the narrative that we have today. And, and well, that's the problem. Then you have people like Phyllis Wheatley, yeah. right? Who was the first published poetess in America, which is even more significant because not only is she a woman, not only is she a black woman, she was a slave at the time her poetry was published. Now, that really is interesting. Why would you be publishing poetry of a slave, female, black slave in America? What's very unique about this is Phyllis Wheatley, she was purchased they think she was probably six years old. Um, she was brought over on a, a at the ship was Phyllis, which is where their first name came from. The Wheatley family bought her, which she is where Phyllis She came from Senegal. She did not speak a word of English. She was captured as a very small girl taken here. And, and so she didn't know anything about where she's going. She didn't know anything about that kind of life or what six to do on the ship. So, six years old. And, and the Wheatley family actually had a daughter who would have been her age, but the daughter died. And so, you, I mean, you can only imagine the dad's walking through town. They don't have any slaves, but sees this girl on the trade blocks. And I mean, again, you're just imagining, but you can imagine probably what's pulling at his heart. And he says, okay, I, I can't. So he buys this little girl, brings her home and he's got a family at home. And he tells his daughter, say, I, I want you to start helping her. I, I want you to teach her English, everything you've learned at school. I, I want you to start her studies. And so they begin teaching her English. They begin teaching her math and science and Latin and all kinds of I mean, just in, impressive stuff that she's learning. Well, she gets a grasp of the English language very well and very quickly. So much so that when she discovers poetry, she wants to start writing and does such a good job that this is the work of her published poetry. Again, the first published poetess in America. Her, her, How old do you think that book is? Uh, this book goes... This is from 1802. And so this was a collection of her poetry that was published. 
During the American Revolution, she, her first poem was published in 1773, so three years before the revolution. During the American Revolution, George Washington actually brought her to come, I think it was the Winter Valley Forge, I'm pretty sure is no, what it was. No, it was at Cambridge, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Cambridge after, okay, oh, that's right. We've actually been to the house where she was. But Washington had a, his officers, a, a group of men with him, and brought Phyllis Wheatley in to come do poetry, which also says something about even the thought of Washington, because if you're a racist guy, you're probably not bringing in a slave to come perform poetry for you. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Nonetheless, Phyllis Plus Wheatley- Plus woman. Plus a right. woman, that's right. Right, I mean, yeah, the sexist, the racist, everything we there's, hear about these so guys today. There's so many things about her st story that don't fit the now, narrative. Now, I don't want you to forget this, but let me just interject that what you guys are saying is that instead of uh, America in the, in the beginning being totally biased and just ungodly and all the founding fathers, there was a lot of godly people there who were. didn't recognize the racial barriers and stuff like well, this. Let me, let me throw out a contrast, because when you look at the early colonization of America, your first is Jamestown, 1607. Then next is the, the Pilgrims in Massachusetts, 1620, 1630s, the Puritans. The Jamestown people, yeah, they were Christians, but they were pretty secular. They weren't Bible-oriented. Those next two groups are very Bible-oriented. And so we point to Jamestown that by 1619, there was slavery going in Jamestown. So the first load of slaves to come to America went to Jamestown, accepted in Virginia, and there you go. The second load of slaves that came to America came to the Christian biblical thinkers up in Massachusetts, and they freed the slaves and imprisoned the slave owners. Oh, and really? so, and they did so on the basis of several Bible verses that all men are created. You know, equal. all of the blacks that are watching this are probably saying, "No way!" But see, that, that's the thing. As soon as you have the birth of the slavery movement, you have the birth of the abolition movement led by the Bible-oriented guys, and that's why in Massachusetts, in New England, so many of these things happen. That's where you're electing blacks to office. That's where you have these black heroes, black SEAL team members, black. So many black things that are that are wholesome. There, 1793, Thomas Hercules. A black guy elected office in Pennsylvania. You have so much going there. There never was a time in Massachusetts, which is where, again, they put the slave owners in jail and freed the slaves. There never was a time in Massachusetts when blacks could not vote. Now, that's such a different narrative from, from what we hear that you know, it took the 14th and 15th Amendment to let blacks vote in 1868, 1870. Yeah, in the South. But there's a different story up north. So let me interject again that in the same way that you're bringing out all of these black heroes who are so important in our American history, and there are people saying, man, I never knew this, there was also whites that were anti-slavery. And Huge. there was a lot of godly things Huge. going on that people didn't know about either. Correct. So in the same way that many people have just p painted, you know, that uh, the blacks were non-involved and, and didn't contribute in the same way. There's so many people that have painted with a broad stroke that all of the whites were racist and oppressing people, and it's Well, not let, true. let me throw out an interesting thought, because we have a constitutional amendment passed in 1865 to abolish slavery. 1868, we passed another constitutional amendment to make sure all former slaves had equal civil rights in their states and the nation, 1870, we passed the Civil Rights Amendment to make sure that all former slaves, regardless of race, you're able to vote and participate fully in the civil process. Three civil rights amendments. The Constitution says that to have a constitutional amendment, you have to pass it through two-thirds of the House, two-thirds of the Senate, and then it has to be passed by three-fourths the legislature and three-fourths of the states. So let's go this. At that point, the only people who could vote in America were whites. Blacks couldn't vote yet. They could vote in some states like Massachusetts. 
So when Congress passes the, the amendment to end slavery and to grant civil rights and grant equal status, it's only whites voting. So you have two-thirds of the whites in the House, two-thirds of the whites in the Senate say, we want blacks to have the same rights we do. Then it goes to the states where that three-fourths of the states, whites and three-fourths of the states, only one can vote. We, so it really is whites saying, this is wrong for us to have status different from everybody else. It's the whites who gave up the rights and say we want equality because they're the only ones that could vote on this. Well, and even saying, I mean, they didn't give up rights. They, well, that's true. They opened it up for everybody that's right. they to have included. the rights. That's right. But, but you're right. When you look throughout all of American history, every time you can point to an atrocity where something bad happened, I can point out the Christians and the Christian ministers who stood up to oppose what was happening and ultimately led the change in what happened. The, the story of America is not the story of a perfect nation, and we would never try to make that That's claim. Right. What happens is people tend to swing from one pendulum side to the other or from one ditch to the other. Well, neither one's really good. Yeah, stay out the, of the ditches. Yeah, the story of America is, no, we, man, we're not perfect. It's like right, reading the Israelites. Nope, that they had so many problems and they weren't perfect, but... So, so we shared that in the revolution, there was three-fourths of the states that were against slavery, but they compromised to gain the acceptance of the others. Well, they didn't compromise. They just couldn't hold their position and let that clause well, be included and, and, and you because can, it took unanimous. You can well, make the statement that's a compromise. Yeah, because they didn't say, we're not, we're going to make you be anti-slavery. We're going to kick you out. They right. didn't stand their ground. Correct. Yeah. But here's my yeah. point yeah. is they, they accomplished the revolution, but then when they established the Constitution, People would say, well, why didn't they go ahead and outlaw slavery at that time? Sure. And um, I would like you to address uh, the time that I know they had something like a 20-year moratorium right. before they would outlaw slavery. And I mean, the yeah. moment that that came due. Here's generally what happened is you had come through the revolution with three states in the South really wanting slavery and 10 states not. And so, as Tim pointed out, and, and and that was a little iffy because Virginia was one of those middle ground states yeah. that there were there were some leaders in Virginia who didn't want to preserve slavery. So you did have you had a couple that were in the middle because even what are called the border states. Yeah, well, even but even New York, there were some some pro slavery oh, wow. people in New York. New York City um, was really bad pro slavery. And so there there was there was some different thoughts and opinions mm -hmm. throughout the nation. But one of the cool things about even going back to looking at original records is you can go back to the constitutional debates. Not that anybody would ever be entertained reading those <laughs> records. But I, you probably right? have. We have. Uh, well, and not for entertainment value, right? For educational research. purposes. Yeah. But what for, you discover- For this very question, because this question does get asked. And, and what you find is that liberty was growing, the revival was growing, there was a sense of this is wrong. As a matter of fact, one of the, I'll just make a little commentary. On, we talked earlier how that the, those southern three states who didn't want to to hit the king for slavery in the in the Declaration. It's interesting. Then the Revolution, what was supposed to happen? All thirteen states were like independent nations. We'd never been a nation before. It's like France and Poland and Czechoslovakia and and Spain. They were all different nations. And so what they did in Congress was they had this loose coalition where that they said, okay, every state needs to contribute a portion to the defense of the United States for the defense of the nation. So every state was to put in a certain amount of soldiers, et cetera. The three Southern states never met their quota of soldiers. 
because their guy said, if we leave the plantation to go fight, we'll lose all our slaves. We're staying here. We're not going to fight. So it was states like Connecticut, Jonathan Trumbull, Governor of Connecticut, others stepped up and oversupplied men to go south and fight in southern states from the north because the southern guys were not willing to go fight for their freedom because they would lose control of their slaves. Mm -hmm. So there was a different mentality down there in a lot of ways. So, but then even they start seeing that this, yeah, this really isn't right. So they start weakening on it. By the time you get to the Constitutional Convention of 1787, it essentially is, if you guys are give us 20 years, we'll be ready to move away from slavery. Give us 20 years. And not everybody in the South was in favor of that. They did not, not agree to that. There were very contentious debates, which is why you've had the three-fifths compromise, which actually the compromise... Explain that because, again, I've had people question that. Sure. And they'll say, well, they only said that a black is worth three-fifths of a person. Right. No. So in, in the Constitution, when we talk about the, the legislative branch, you have the House and the Senate. Every state is given two senators. So that's set regardless of population. The House, however, is chosen based on population. And so this is when there was some question, because the guys in the North said, wait a second, who are you going to count for your population? Because if you don't give them the right to vote, you shouldn't be able to count them as your population. The Southern guy said, well, no. We own them. They're ours. We're going to count them because they vote the way we tell them that they're, we're going to count them. So they wanted to include all of the blacks because it would have given them a right. better representation. And, and part of the debates you see, the Northern guy said, wait a second, you say they're property. I love this part if, of it. This is in the, the records of the Constitutional Convention. It's great. If you say they're property, then and you're do, counting your property for votes. Yeah, then do we all get to count our property? Because I've got chairs at my house and I've got horses and cows and forks and knives. And, and so I'll get more anti-slavery right. votes. Do we get to count all property? Or do we just count people who have the right to vote? And so, I mean, very interesting contentious debates. And so finally, they realized, and again, the thought was preserving the union. How can we come together and preserve the union? Even though this was very contentious, I mean, very, very heated, not friendly debates. They said, we still want to be a nation. And so, okay, we'll let you count three-fifths of your population. That didn't mean one person was only three-fifths three of, of a person. It's represent let, me, let me throw a number out there. The, the Constitution said that for every 30,000 people, you get to have a representative of Congress. But let's, let's, take, the, let's take the number 50,000. For every 50,000 people, you get to have a representative of Congress. If you are a state like Georgia, you have more slaves in the state than you have free people in the state. I'll count all my slaves, and I'll get twice as many people to Congress, and we're a pro-slavery state, so I'll have twice as many pro-slavery votes in Congress. The guys in New England said, no, you get to count the guys that are free, not the... And so what happens is the three-fifths compromise said, okay, instead of counting 50,000 people to get a representative, you can only count 30,000 of those 50,000, and you're going to have to have more. So now it's going to take you 80,000 to get a representative rather than 50,000. So what it did was that three-fifths clause reduced the pro-slavery vote by 40% in Congress. It's an anti-slavery clause. And what it's calls. interpreted, though, is this meant that they said that a black man was only worth three-fifths of a white man. See, that's the way it's interpreted, which, and that's but this wrong. is even where you go back to what Frederick Douglass said, right? Where Frederick Douglass thought, well, the Constitution is really racist. And, and that, well, he thought this until he read it, and even the three-fifths compromise, he didn't think that was racist yeah. after reading it. That's actually uh, four. It's an anti-slavery business. Yeah. That was demanded by the anti-slavery states. We're not going to count all the slaves you have down there because that gives you too many pro-slavery guys in Congress. This is a little bit like saying, right, and this is not a great parallel, but I'm going to do the best I can. If there was a state and the state said, you know what, we will not allow abortion after 20 weeks. 
right? So this is an abortion ban, which some states have done a 20-week abortion ban. And you have people going, oh my gosh, then, then you support abortion for the first 20 weeks. No, we don't. <laughs> that's a very, I we're think just a great trying, We're trying to move it back. I want to get rid of abortion all the time everywhere. I never want to see abortion. But right now you have states that support abortion all the way. So if we can get a 20-week ban in those states, we've made incredible progress. This is what the anti-slavery side thought. Well, if we can reduce what they're doing, we're making progress in the right direction. And they thought once we put this 20-year provision that the slave trade is abolished after 20 years, so you can't bring in slaves after 20 years anymore, they really thought that it would diminish what was going to happen. Yeah, but they, they really believed that by that time they'd be ready to move on because they've already found out, you know, owning a slave, he doesn't have much incentive to work for me which is why you have slave masters and you got to beat them and everything else. What incentive do they have? There's nothing for them. That's where the free market comes in. If I can make profit out of myself, I've got an incentive to work hard. So what happens is now you have to buy and purchase slaves. Then you have to feed them. Then you have to make sure they stay healthy or you lose your money that you purchase them with. And then they don't work very hard for you because they've got no incentive to work. And so what was happening was slavery was driving the economics of the South into depression. They could not afford to keep slaves. And so if you've got a big plantation that needs 700 slaves, oh my gosh, the health care and the food and the lodging, all that is. And so they believed they, they would be able to move past that. And it was headed that way. What changed it was the invention of the cotton gin. The invention of the cotton gin, now instead of one slave getting this much, one slave can work a cotton gin and do what 30 slaves used to do. Now we can make slavery economically feasible. Technology empowered Technology. slavery. And that's what kept slavery alive. The South was, was getting ready to move out of slavery until 1803 when the cotton gin came along. But 1808, we did ban the slave trade. America w was the earliest nation to ban the slave trade. So we were the second nation to ban s slavery, second earliest. But we're, we're right on the brink. So we can complain about the fact that, man, they didn't ban slavery, slave trade till 1808. Yeah, and we were the first. But you know, see, most is, people wouldn't even know that we ever banned the slave right. trade in 1808. Oh, by the way, Thomas Jefferson is the one who signed the ban on the slave trade. Yeah. And, and he started working for it really early to make sure that it wouldn't fall apart. And again, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't it the very day that it was allowed through the Constitution, he signed it just he like right it. after midnight or I mean. Yeah, he signed it and it went into effect the first second of the first day that was allowed by the Constitution. And that's what they had a watch night service they had, for. They which had people watch night looking for that. freedom. Uh -huh. That, that, that was watch night. And, you know, in our church, we have watch night. And most people have no clue that that came from blacks gathering around a watch to watch the watch. Because when it became midnight and you hit that next next pen, now you got that. The Emancipation Proclamation, same way. Yeah. When it hit January, first, second of January, 1863, all slaves in 11 southern states are now free. They gather around a watch and watch it tick down. Midnight. We're all free. That's where and there was a lot from. of praising and rejoicing. There was so January the first, eighteen oh eight. They signed that, and that ended the import and export of slaves. But right, it didn't stop the didn't slave stop it trade internally within. until until the Thirteenth Amendment. And there were even some Southern states that were in rebellion to what the law said because there were some Southern states that were still bringing in slaves in the slave trade and totally illegal. But this was where, again, when you look at the history, there's there's so many details, and there really is some nuance that in an effort to simplify things, it's easier to say that, well, all whites in early America were racist and all blacks were victims. Well, that's grossly overstated and grossly and generalized. it's not even very accurate. 
You know, a friend of mine, E.W. Jackson, he's a black man and he, he's a powerful guy. Do you happen to know him? We know him well, Jackson yeah. Well. I love that guy. And he says it's not black and white, it's evil versus good. That's right. And am I incorrect or you tell me I think Anthony Johnson was the first? Well, slavery, there, there's several things. We come from the position that we, we think racism is a sin. Okay, Absolutely. but our position also is sin does not re apply to just one race. You know, it's, it's, and it would be incredibly racist to suggest it did. That's right. It, right? If you said, "Well, only Hispanics are prideful," that is so racist to say, right? Well, you know what? Only Irish struggle with lust, right? Only South Americans. Like anything you say to limit to one group is a racist statement. Man, if you've watched all of today's program, I know that you were blessed. And I want to encourage you to, you need to not only get this, you need to get this so that you can go over it yourself, but so that you can share it with other people. We have six weeks worth of television broadcasts. The two that I'm doing here during Black History Month 2020, but also we have uh, teachings that I interviewed David back in 2009 and also 2013. And so six weeks worth of interview with David Barton, and this would be a blessing to you. We've also got information about how you can go directly to their website at Wall Builders, and it would be a blessing. You need this not only for yourself, but for other people. Listen to our announcer and please call or write today. Today, you saw a portion of Andrew's interview discussing Black History Month and the role Black Americans have played in America's history. This entire interview is available as part of the God and Country album, which also includes previous interviews with David Barton discussing America's godly heritage. God and Country is available in either a CD or DVD album made from our daily television broadcast. Each of these valuable resources is available for a gift of any amount when you contact us. We want to say a special thank you to the Grace Partners of Andrew Womack Ministries. Your gifts make it possible to put free ministry materials into the hands of many people in need. If you're not already a Grace Partner, we ask you to pray about becoming one today. You can become a Grace Partner or order resources through our website at awmi.net. While there, you can discover more product details and download additional free resources. Or call our helpline Monday through Friday from 4.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. Mountain Time at 719-635-1111. To write us, use the address on your screen. We appreciate your generosity and hope to hear from you today. We'd like to point out Andrew's upcoming speaking schedule. Mark your calendars to come meet Andrew at one of these events and let the Word of God transform your life. In the month of March, Andrew will be in Woodland Park, Colorado for the annual Karis Bible College Men's Advance. NFL Hall of Fame and Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy will be a guest speaker at this event, along with James Brown, Emmy Award-winning broadcaster on the CBS and NFL networks. Also in March, Andrew will be back in Woodland Park hosting the Army Conference for Ministers. Guest speakers at this event will be Pastor Dwayne Sheriff, Billy Epperhart, and Dr. Barry Burns. In April, Andrew will be hosting a special Easter season production titled God With Us in Woodland Park, Colorado. God With Us is the original love story of a passionate God on a relentless quest to rescue his people. 
Also in April, he'll be hosting the annual Karis Bible College Campus Days. Guest speakers at this event include Carrie Pickett, Daniel Bennett, Greg Moore, Rick McFarland, Wendell Parr, and Lawson Perdue. Next, Andrew will be speaking in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. Then he'll be back in Woodland Park, Colorado, hosting the Don't Limit God Conference with guest speaker Jesse Duplantis. And in May, Andrew will be in Telford, England for the annual UK Grace and Faith Conference. For more details on Andrew's next meeting in your area, visit our website at awmi.net. Have you checked out the Inside Story yet? It's a great way for you to get an inside look of what is happening at Andrew Womack Ministries. With over six years of interviews, there's a lot to get excited about. Check out this month's featured story today, only at awmi.net.